Here we are with Abdiasadi on September the 26th, 2012. Hello. How are you, Barry? I'm doing well. Thanks, man. So talk to me. You've been having this on your mind for the last couple of months. You wanted to do a podcast on shamanism and uh, effects of different medicine. What is it that you want to bring to this and take out of this? Well, um, I really, you know, I didn't really want to bring anything because I really don't think I've got much to bring, and that's my typical like self-deprecating or um, this process of of going within to to kind of come out organically, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, I have been thinking about this probably longer than a couple months, um, just because. You know, you know, we go back a long ways, and, and, and I think the last time we did a podcast was probably almost 10 years ago now, right? So it's been a while. Um, and, you know, you've kind of, like, you know, watched, you know, kind of my, my uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, switch back, you know, circuitous, you know, you know, long, strange, you know, winding road kind of journey. And, you know, one of the things that I've been working with a lot more in the last few years is, um, you know, using, uh, you know, ceremony and ritual and, and sacred space, you know, not in the same way that you do because, you know, I don't, you know, um, think that I approach your level of, um, you know, knowledge and experience in that regard. But, you know, using that as yet another healing modality for myself. You know, and, and, you know, kind of how, you know, we can talk about it in, in this format, in this way that kind of helps maybe demystify that a certain amount. Because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of baggage that's hung around, like, that's you nice. know, ceremony and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, um, ritual and that kind of thing. So that was really, I think, the, the general intention was, was to kind of let that speak for itself. Um, and you, you work with that on a daily basis. So, and I don't think a lot of people, I mean, the people that, that, you know, that you're, that are your patients, your clients, they might be aware of that, but, you know, the, the much wider, you know, audience that this podcast is, you know, kind of going to reach, I might not be aware of that. Mm-hmm. So, it was giving you an opportunity to talk about that. And, and Thank you. Um, I want you to also share with the listeners your experience, because it's not just sacred space that you work with, but you also work with shamans in the Amazon, using medicine, using ayahuasca, and I actually want to also talk about that a little bit, because that's something that's being done more and more in our culture, and me and you have had these discussions before about sort of my concerns around that, as well as my hopes for it, so when was the last time you were using medicine, medicine meaning, why don't you explain what medicine yeah, is? that's, you know... <laughs> Like not make it about me. Let's <laughs> make it about you. Um, medicine to me is is um, anything that you use um, to heal with. I mean, I think you'd agree with that. Um, and and you know, but we're talking about hallucinogens here. But we're talking about you know what would probably in a lot of circles be considered like hallucinogenic or entheogenic, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so for the layperson, explain what that is. That means that, uh, you know, anything that, that alters your consciousness in such a way that, that you might perceive things differently than in, in your ordinary consciousness, in your ordinary day. Um, so it softens the ego wall. Softens the ego wall. 
um, heightens perception on certain levels yes. um, and also um, affects a, a profound um, healing on certain levels mm-hmm. or at least um, particularly in, in, in respect to ayahuasca it's a, you know it's a, the maha diagnostic tool mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know I also a lot of the plant I mean I'm, you know you know at, at this stage of my life you know I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a you know, a naturopath kind of person, you know, and, and I have a, a deep appreciation and affinity and, and, and respect for, for the plant teachers mm-hmm. as opposed to anything that's been kind of, you know, created synthetically, you know. So for people who might not be aware of this language, the idea is in indigenous cultures and sort of now passed on to the rest of us that plants have intelligence, which might sound crazy to someone who's intellectually well-versed, but actually not in the emotional body. Yeah. Mental tryptamine. These yeah. actually have intelligences that can point us to the source. Yeah. So as we get into this, I just want to say a couple of words first. You know my own background. I was trained, and I don't consider myself a shaman, although I do shamanic work, by both Lakota natives back in the day, 30-some years ago, and then Peruvian shamans. And I've never used medicine in the Lakota teachings, but I have in the Peruvian pathway. And I would, my first, not warning necessarily, although it might be a warning, but be cognizant of granddad's piece here is that we live in a culture of addiction. And because we live in a culture of addiction, we have to be very conscious that these drugs are not addictive per se. I mean, nobody in their right mind would be um, be addicted to these medicine because they're so intense. Yet, the fact that it gives us a viewpoint of the source can actually become addictive. So one of the things that I see here, you know, an ayahuasca experience or an experience with psilocybin mushrooms can take years to integrate, yeah. truly. Yeah. And I see people hammering this stuff day in and out yeah. on a regular basis. So that's my first piece. Warning. <laughs> warning here. Yeah, let's call it um, when we see it. Yeah. Well, the next thing is it's mind-blowing to me that these hallucinogens are Schedule 1 drugs. Yeah. So what that means is that we have like Schedule 1, Schedule 2, Schedule 3. Schedule 1 is the most addictive drug. So let's say heroin or cocaine might be on that. This is a sign of how dangerous these drugs are, these medicines are, mm-hmm. to this culture because they're not addictive in the same way. Hydrocodone, which is actually an opiate, mm-hmm. Is class three. We in America are less than five percent of the world's population. We use eighty percent of its opiates. Yeah, and we have to be aware that that's the culture where we're stepping into these things. We're stepping into this medicine world, meaning the plant medicine, from a place of addiction, which might not be the case where these indigenous cultures were concerned. So that's something that the same thing that I would talk about yoga. We are a culture of addicts, so that has to be taking into account before we start this discussion. The flip side of that is people go, well, these are so dangerous. And as Terence McKenna would say, well, yeah, it's so dangerous because you might die from amazement, not because you might die. So me and you had talked about this the first time that I'd heard of someone dying from ayahuasca, which was an ill-prepared alkaloid form in the Amazon, Mm -hmm. the poor young kid that we had talked about. Mm -hmm. Now, in America alone, prescription drugs kill 100,000 Americans every year. Yeah over-the-counter, under-the-counter prescription, and they injure about 2 million people. And there are about 40,000 deaths every year 
from just over-the-counter drugs. Yeah. So people need to know that we're living in this culture where these things are being peddled without any consequences and something that can actually threaten culture, that can actually open people's minds. And it's not for everyone. And I think a lot of people abuse it because they're not dealing with the emotional underlying, but it can also be a very profound tool in awakening. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say about it, this is sort of my, my biggest beef with it, is um, Houston Smith had a great line about use of hallucinogens, and he would say that without a spiritual practice and its uh, grounding, psychedelic drugs can become, uh, in quote, a religion of religious experience. Yeah. A religion of religious experience. So when I see people approach these medicines without that, I've seen it actually still do wonders, there's no one way. But the spiritual practice, and I don't even like the word spiritual anymore because religion took this experience of source and bastardized it, and now spirituality has become the word that bastardizes the source. The yeah. source is who we really are. So even moving beyond that, but we need some kind of foundation if we're going to play with these. Yeah. Just like what I always go on about yoga, there's eight branches of it. Asanas, which is what we consider yoga in this culture, is just one of them. But because we're so body-oriented and we want to look a certain way, that's the one we've gone through. What is pranayama or things that actually aren't as, they're more etheric, let's say. They don't yeah. catch on as much. Yeah. So this is sort of my granddaddy, be aware, rider, mm -hmm. let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, you bring up a good point about the strong foundation, you know, um, and that's something that, and, and, the, and the, even the addictive nature of, of that experience, you know, and say you, whether it's the, you know, the, you know, the experience in ceremony with ayahuasca or whether it's the experience with, you know, psilocybin or with salvia divinorum or, you know, cannabis for that matter, you know, um, you know, when you have these experiences, uh, you know, you might, and, and I can look at myself in the mirror and, and, and admit this, you know, to myself. It's like, you know, there's something in that that, um, and, and talking about Terrence, we might as well bring him up again. He talked about it, you know, like, you know, it, it's it's stepping out of like your mundane experience mm -hmm. into something that's obviously not mundane, mm -hmm. and just that piece of it, notwithstanding, you know, hallucinations or, mm -hmm. or whatever perceiving of energies or whatever, just stepping out of your mundane experience mm -hmm. is addictive. Whether it's driving motorcycles or race cars or you know or, or using these medicines or whatever, right? So, so it's about breaking hypnosis. So whether well, let's back up here a second. For anyone who's interested in this topic, who doesn't know Terence McKenna, Terence, you can spell that McKenna M C K E N N A. Um, this is a man you should definitely become familiar with. Yeah, truly a prophet, truly a genius who who died of a brain. Uh, Tumor years yeah. ago, um, incredible. I mean, you know, I had the good fortune of spending time with this man, yeah. and he would talk. Seven, he go to these seven-day seminars, and he was yeah. like twelve hours of unscripted, channeled, profound information that was all truth. Yeah. And he was all about breaking hypnosis. The thing is, this is we're talking about. Why are these drugs Schedule One drugs? You know, you're not gonna be addicted to mushrooms that way. It's because it threatens culture. Yeah. But this is not just bad. It's not just the big bad brother up there pointing a finger, which is definitely a part of it. But it can also threaten your sanity. Because you have to have a strong ego structure, strong enough for it to be taken apart to be back, put back, back together. together. 
The whole idea of soul retrieval in shamanic circles is also used for this, because you can leave a chunk of yourself outside. So again, to approach these things without some level of awareness about these issues is, you know, people... You're asking for trouble. Well, you are, because I've actually had this discussion with people who are big proponents of this, who are well-known teachers of it, and they go, well, you know, ayahuasca is not addictive. Mm -hmm. No, of course it's not addictive, but the process of exactly what you're talking about, of breaking the mundane, is very addictive, and really, as Maslow used to say, the magical isn't the mundane, it's about looking at the mundane from a different perspective. So... We'll get into the idea of what you're talking about in terms of ritual, but in terms of these medicines, they break the ego wall. They allow the bigger you, we can't say us because that us is the ego wall that breaks, to mm-hmm. gaze at while shitting yourself profoundly because a part of you, it goes through a dying process yeah. at the bigger you, and hopefully integrate that back into an aspect of a more relaxed awareness and maybe not reacting out of fear so much because yeah. there is really the idea of impermanence now. Here's my beef with it. You know, I've done, I was a drug addict. I've done these drugs outside of ceremony. I've done these medicines in ceremony. Can I truly say that they shifted me? Of course they did, but it took decades of hard inner work to actually live that truth. Right? Going through that, didn't, those, I cannot truly say that these medicines changed me. And when I see my patients who are hugging ayahuasca weekly and who are I cannot really say that I see change I see little glimpses Mm -hmm. but you have to want to walk the walk in my experience we don't walk the walk unless life slaps us slaps us upside our head so this is me and you have had this discussion over the last decade and a half of I'm not for or against anything my question is how what's the intention yes and we'll get into the intention what is the intention and how useful is this really for awakening. There is so much energy available now. I have not seen anything like this in decades of doing clinical work where people who have no access to these things are really, really waking up. Now, I want to take this to what you were saying before and have you talk a little bit about it of ritual, of ceremony. Because that's something that our culture has totally lost. That's where our culture is dying. When we talk about these numbers of addiction, it's because we don't have connection to source. Whether it's the credit card bill that's killing us, or whether it's like shopping all the time, what is this drug thing where we're we're a culture of addicts beyond, beyond, beyond. You know, alcohol and tobacco. I mean, all the violent, horrible things that happen is really like from alcohol. Why? Because we're connected to these things as a fake, we've given our, our third chakras a fake, that's what addiction is, a fake root instead of the actual source. So ritual, whether it be meditation, whether it's beautiful. So as I'm sitting here talking, you have laid out this very, very beautiful. How would you describe it? Oh, my 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 traveling mesa, my altar. So it's your altar. Yeah. It's your, you've you set out this beautiful mesa, which is setting an intention for this talk that we're we're having. So these rituals are very profound, but in our culture, we've actually lost these, which is really connected to the addictive way that we're living. You take it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, when I think about ritual um, and ceremony, I mean, you know, the, the person that comes immediately to mind, you know, um, you know, aside from, you know, McKenna and, and, and you know, some of the other esteem elders, is, you know, one of the greatest ones was, was, in my mind, like Joseph Campbell, you know, mm-hmm. so the hero's journey. And I think we can all 
particularly you and I, you know, talk about like the hero's journey, you know, hours on end and mm-hmm. what that, you know, kind of, you know, means. But, you know, I'm just going to read a quick quote that, that I prepared for, for this talk, you know, from, from Mr. Campbell. And it says, a ritual is the enactment of a myth. And by participating in the ritual, you are participating in the myth. And since myth is a projection of the depth of wisdom of the psyche, by participating in a ritual, participating in the myth, you are being, as it were, put in accord with that wisdom, which is the wisdom that is inherent within you anyhow. Your consciousness is being reminded of the wisdom of your own life. Mm. God, I love this man. Yeah, I mean... So... Let's break that down. Let's break that down. So he's <laughs> talking there. Well, there, there's a lot there, and that's yeah. that's really. Let's take, go back to Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. So when we went into I think, therefore, I am, when we went into mind, we went to science. We started poo-pooing all these invisible things, but in reality, ninety plus percent of what's around us is invisible, right? Electromagnetic yeah. phenomena. Yeah. So someone like Campbell was seen as a nut. Someone like Carl Jung was seen as a nut. Well, that's just someone you do you do outside, not realizing that our world is where it is. We're destroying the planet because we are not in relationship with it. So, all our relations, as the natives would say, it's a connection. Yes, it's we're connecting with everything. So when science came around, it became poo-pooed. These are, this doesn't matter anymore. You, you think conscious. So what good old Joe is saying here is that you're actually bringing the conscious and the unconscious together by tapping into this wisdom that's there. I love this thing, you know? When we say something, we knock on wood. And I've always been curious, why do we do that? That's actually sort of connecting to that wisdom because back in the day, the idea was that there were these spirits that lived in wood and they would protect you. That's the big story. But what's really going on is you're actually tapping in because your conscious mind can say, you know, knock on wood, I never get sick. But the conscious mind knows that it's going to trigger this unconscious part. So that knocking on the wood in my worldview is the conscious mind going like, oh, please, I'm actually aware that you just might not do the exact opposite. So what he's saying is that's the function of that. So when you spread this beautiful spread here in terms of your own traveling meza, what are you doing? Intention is all mine. Everything mm-hmm. is mine on this realm. It seems sort of obvious, but not quite obvious. These benches that me and you are sitting on was a thought. Out of that thought, it became reality. So truly, when you start reacting and acting from this place, yeah. you start shifting reality. So all the ceremony is is consciously directing the unconscious into a direction that the intention is set towards. Mm-hmm. Now, there's still going to be pieces that goes the other way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Remember, I mean, why is waking up such a bitch? Because this guy whose lips are moving is going to have to die on some level. Yeah. And no way. This guy's not going to give it up. So sometimes one has to kind of laugh at setting up rituals because, oh, you're actually taking your own head the butchers to be cut off right yeah that, that's spirituality yeah, that, that's that resistance yeah. that's resistance so ceremony is about that and it takes patience now when I see you and I saw you in the last half hour set this and do this beautiful ritual and the cleansing you're in the process 
But I also see people do these things as if they're sort of putting on their TV. Yeah. It's like, get through it. Come on, let's push the button. Why is this not happening? Yeah. It's an event they're looking for. Ritual, sacral space is not an event. It's a process. It's something that you feed every day through, and it can be anything. You know, love of a child, a kiss before they go to school can be that ritual. Rubbing your mala beads. All these things are just a way of setting intention. They get more powerful if we can invite the unconscious into it. Right? So we all know this. Oh, I can't stand this guy. Then I walk outside and then you see me with this guy. You've been saying for 20 years you can't stand this guy. But every day I see you with this guy. So you're full of shit, man. Where is the intention? I'm like, yeah, but I said it. You're like, no, no, but where is the intention? So when you set this beautiful maze, when you set this beautiful altar, what is your intention? That's just the first step. In the next 24 hours, till you come back to this, and you have to make room for your humanity, because there's no way in hell you're going to be 100%, otherwise you're a drug addict. How are you going to be true to that? How are you going to be true to that in the intention of your dog, and your partner, and your job, and your dream house, that you were going to get in the country and all of it. We cannot betray ourselves. So one thing that one has to, I would give the same warning that I gave about the medicine is the same with these altars. These are very charged times. As the Chinese say, don't pick up the master carpenter's tool because you'll cut yourself. We have to be aware, are we ready to do that? Because if we set an intention and we're just, oh, this is really cool and we're not really following it through, we'll get hammered, we'll get called out on it by our own self, because it is all self. There's not mm-hmm. some big, bad outside energy. Yeah. And we're all getting hammered right now. <laughs> Man, I, I gotta tell you, it's, I, you know, I was just having this discussion, but I'm having this discussion every day in these very intense times. It's the last three to six months, I mean, all relationships are being questioned. That's one, one thing I'm saying. People have been in long business relationships, marriages, we have to question to be true of ourselves. A lot of these things that we've been fed aren't working. You know, and like whether we're in America now, there's elections, it's bigger than that. We're in America now, it's the economy, it's bigger than that. The environment, the weird weather, it's bigger than that. And I'm actually very hopeful in that we're being, we're waking up. And it's not going to be anything like we think. 2012, I was definitely one of the believers mm-hmm. in the world 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm definitely not. That's not, it's, it's just the beginning. Yeah. We've been sleepwalking. Yeah. A lot of people are checking out. They don't want to be here. Bless them. Don't get caught up in the story. In yourself, have the courage to emit as much love towards yourself and others as you can. In not some cute, new agey way. Literally, what does that, what does that mean every day? Yeah. You're doing stuff, you're groveling at things that you don't want to grovel at, stop groveling. Yeah. It's an internal relationship we're getting hammered but we're such meatheads i mean we get off on getting hammered we think that's like a badge of courage oh i'm getting hammered you're getting hammered what needs to change so you don't get hammered yeah yeah that's certainly my addiction but it's for a lot of people for a lot of us you know and have compassion for the fallibility but don't use it as an excuse not to shift Mm -hmm. there is no middle road right now either you're yeah. Dropping out or you're swimming in the bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And you swim in the bullshit then enjoy it. Don't complain about the smell and the taste. Yeah. Be like, this is awesome. I love swimming in shit. <laughs> right? But to be in it and you're kvetching, oh, it's so bad. I hate it. It's like, okay, no. And don't make room for people to do that with you. 
That's, that's idiot compassion. That's yeah. not compassion. Idiot compassion being what it looks like compassion. Oh, Barry's so sweet. He listens to Abdi talk about how much he's suffering. As opposed to saying, dude, you've been talking this for 10 years. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Well, that's that strong container piece as well. I mean, to the degree that, that you know, you have to take responsibility for where you are in your process. Um, and this, and, and I think it's kind of interesting that, that this talk didn't transpire until now um, when we scheduled it like a month ago when things fell apart or whatever. You know, because in, in that time frame, certain things came up. And one of them is how I need to better own my own authority and process, right? And, and I think that's true for anyone, you know, and to the degree that, you know, we, we, we do have our lives um, and, and we do, you know, have, you know, all the shit we have to deal with, you know, and, and a lot of, for a lot of us, you know, you know, things are just kind of falling apart, whether it's in the, the circle of family, in the circle of intimate relationship, in the circle of work, you know, in the circle of friends, you know, in our spiritual practice, you know, whatever, all those things, you know, are like, you know, just really being challenged on many levels. Um, you know, so, you know, the, the fallback for me always has been kind of this work, you know, the, 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 the ritual, the ceremony, you know, going out in nature, you know, getting away from, you know, um, people, getting away from, like, concrete, you know, for that matter, and, and really kind of grounding um, in, in what I consider kind of neutral territory, you know, even though, you know, that can be charged and you have to, you know, protect yourself um, accordingly. Um, but this, this, this idea of, of this, this, you have inherent authority and process, um, and, and it just seems to me that a lot of people are, you know, uh, you know, in my observation, more than willing to hand over their authority and process, you know, wholesale. Um, and, and this is what kind of results in, in kind of what we call, describe like the creeping orthodoxy of like positive thinking in the new age kind of thing, the new age kind of thing. And that allows for modernization or the, the co-opting of, of spiritual practice for their own purposes, you know, particularly to make money. And that, you know, you know, whether it's the guy with the, you know, the, you know, I won't even call it a sweat lodge because what he built was not a sweat lodge. You know, but you know him, and like we can, die. yeah, we can we can rattle off a bunch of different, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, teachers, um, charlatans, you know, um, over the years. But that's but but that's people's path too. Yeah. Okay. You know so, what I mean? That's also people's path. I mean, I've been screwed over by teachers, and that's what I needed because I was doing exactly what you're saying. I was giving my power over, and they screwed me over. Now, like that supposed. Uh, neepy person who yeah. killed, killed those people <laughs> in a sweat lodge. I mean, it's not to make light of it. People die. People really yeah. suffer. This person with ayahuasca, which is very rare, but yeah. he died because of this fucked up preparation of this medicine. But we have to... Which is still kind of, you know, that hasn't been settled, but, you know, you know we, we know that someone, you know, died in, right. in the Peruvian Amazon. Right, so which, which it's like, it's just yeah. should not happen. It should ayahuasca. not have happened. That's just no. whatever that yeah. is. It's like, yeah. that should not happen. Yeah. So... Whatever, I mean, you're in care of someone, that person responsible for you. But that's one side, but it's not to take responsibility away from these people. But the flip side is, you know, we do choose these things. You know, and we live in a culture, we're brainwashed. I mean, this culture, we're very, very brainwashed. But this goes on in India, this goes yeah. on everywhere, where these charlatans are around. These charlatans are a reflection of that part of us that doesn't want to take responsibility. If we get quiet, we know. 
I think of every time where I've been, and it's been numerous number of times where I've been around these charlatans, because I got into this at a very young age, yeah. my late teens and 20s, I knew, you know, when you're around someone that's yeah. off, that's the whole point of ceremony. Quiet yourself so you listen. Yeah. It's not just giving it over to somebody else. But to take responsibility for one's life takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I went that direction, you know, and... and well, when you and, said that direction, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, why I, I started to, to kind of um, do my work alone, like, in nature, you know, um, opening sacred space, you know, you know, praying, I mean, you know, there's so many different ways you can describe it, you know, um, you know, you know, singing, chanting, mudra, mantra, whatever, you know, whatever works for you, right? But I took personal responsibility, you know, to the degree, like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... Um, participate in my own healing, whatever that means, because you know, I don't know what that means, not always knowing, right? Um, but that's because we've both had these experiences with teachers that, you know, failed us or whatever you want to say, but it's just like, you know, okay, yeah, but I should never have given them that opportunity because I ultimately am responsible for this for myself. Yes, but you can only say that having gone through the experience. True. So when the word should comes up, I always get a little bit wary because that yeah. becomes self-judgment. And I yeah. do it, so I'm not, yeah. this is not a judgment on you. So when I say should, it's an addictive thing. Well, I, I shouldn't have gotten married. Well, I can only say that, but I've learned from getting married yeah. and then not being married. The, the should part is a judgment. Yeah, point taken. You, skipped some, you said something very profound that you skipped over quickly. So you said not knowing is knowing. That's very profound. Part of the reason we get stuck in these relationships, what is with teachers, lovers, jobs that don't feed us is being a culture of addicts, we're very dichotomous. Yes, no. We don't really have a place for maybe yeah, or a place true. for I don't know. So not knowing, being knowing, that's very true. There's a third way. Should I study with this teacher? I don't know. That's not yes or no. But my God, but you know, trips leaving to Peru next week, I need to say yes by now. I don't know. So, I don't know in that moment means I don't know. That doesn't mean yes. Yeah. That means like they're going to not go and you can't get your airplane ticket. Then that means no. Yeah. But this is the part where we actually get hoodwinked. And this is how, quote unquote, charlatans, which is an aspect of our own unconscious that has not been owned. Be it a politician, mm. be it a teacher. friend, Barry says he's amazing. Have a weird feeling. He might be revealed to me a year later. You know, this guy's actually really good. I just wasn't ready. So, even on that level, if I just say yes because Barry told me I'm not ready, I would get a session by this person and my whole life falls apart because I wasn't ready. There's no gold medals given for my life falling apart. Yeah. We have to be like a ripe fruit. We have no patience. Now, yes, things are moving so fast right now that speed is of essence and things are moving so quickly, but still we have to learn how to hold that middle space. The middle space right now is really, really crucial. Because I really feel there's an awakening going on where the old models and even the old language doesn't work. Yeah. Right? I've used the word religion before and I was using the word spirituality. I've been actually uncomfortable with that word for the last couple of months. And I really realized the last couple of weeks, wow, that's also been co-opted, the way religion was. To describe an experience of source, what does that word mean? In a way that is actually bastardized. So these are things that one feels, they're not necessarily verbalized. You have to honor the feelings. Feelings, the emotions, are the gateway to the soul. They tell us what needs to be known. Yeah, so, you know, the, I remember 
I went to a talk years ago, uh, you know, I'm in the city, and, and there was a um, curandero that spoke, and he said... Um, a curandero is... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, a curandero is, you know, I'm comfortable with the word shaman, you know, okay. just because it's been so um, yes. negatively charged. Yes. So, um, curandero is, is um, and there's different types of curanderos, but, um, uh, you know, in terms of, like, the, the, the curandero I, I worked with in the Amazon... Um, he was, um, uh, you know, a, a, a person that worked with um, plants, so um, Plantas Amazonicas, you know, so he was a, a plant so someone teacher. Someone that works with uh, indigenous um, plants to, to, to heal, um, you know, different maladies. I mean, you know, the, the Jungalika Yamani, you know, the jungle physician, you know, right. kind of guy. Um, and, and he just, he actually um, is the one that kind of taught me this, if you want to call it a lesson of like, you know, don't call me shaman, you know, I'm a curandero, you know, so. Cool, down with that. So, um, anyway, this other Karandero, he said, um, in the beginning of his talk, Rosanna, I can't remember, but he said, you know, um, I don't know nothing, nothing at all, thank you. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, to me, you know, it's it's the same way or, you know, in the same vein of, you know, um, you know, not knowing is knowing. You know, this idea of, of holding space for whatever to transpire, not being... Um, it's the, the, the right word, you know, loosey-goosey and like, oh, whatever happens, happens, and, you know, you're taking into the new age kind of thing, but actively engaged with that, you know, of, of holding that. So that's the feminine principle you're describing, mm-hmm. right? Not knowing is knowing. I don't know anything. Thank you. That's not, because somebody here can say that and you can be an idiot. That's actually beyond masterful because it's saying we're approaching something that's so massive that these puny brains can't really hold it. Yeah. All we can do is hold space for it. So the Chinese say, those who speak do not know, those who know do not speak. Because language fails. Yeah. Language can just be a finger that points to the vague vicinity of this yeah. truth. Yeah. And we don't know what's good for us. So if we go into a ritual and we go, this is what I want, we don't know what's good for us. Mm-hmm. It's about allowing what's good for us to come. We've all had these experiences where we might miss a bus and the bus crashes. We get ripped out of a relationship and then the relationship would have been a disaster, but we don't see it till later on. So we don't know what's good for us. So the holding the unknown goes back to what we're talking about, which is a divine feminine principle, which we all pay wonderful lip service to. But none of us ever can hold it because we're so stuck in this patriarchal energy, which is action, action, action. It's about listening. Everything we need comes... To this point, one thing I'm seeing right now is we're being shown step by step. We're not going to be shown a mile down the road, not even a quarter mile, not even half a mile. We're going to be shown one step and then the next step will be shown. If we don't take that first step and keep going the way we're going, we're not going to be shown the next three, four steps. So we're in a relationship, we get this relationship is not working. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just going to work on these other areas right now. No, it's not going to work like that. Whatever is shown to you, you have to act on it. And it's for your own benefit. This, there, this energy is very loving. It is yourself, capital S. He wants nothing but the best for you. Nisargadatta Maharaj used to talk about love yourself. Because that's what you do anyway. From that comes everything else. Well, that sounds like such a narcissistic thing. Um, Alexis Tocqueville had this great line. He used to say, um, self-interest properly understood. And uh, this guy wasn't necessarily a spiritual person, right? He yeah. came here in whatever, 1700s and 
love this country. And what was he saying? Self-interest properly understood. It actually applies spiritually. Because self-interest, we all have that. But the key words here are properly understood. Because properly understood means your welfare is my welfare. This is where this culture right now is failing. My welfare, fuck you. But in reality, your welfare is my welfare. This is spirituality. That's the part that we're missing. That's the part where you connect with the source on a daily level through a ritual, through ceremony. That's why the natives would say, all my relations. That was some cute thing. Mm. That means your welfare is intertwined with mine. My welfare is intertwined with yours. You fucking me over is not working for you. So when Buddha says if you get angry at someone, it's like picking up a piece of hot coal to throw at them. You burn your own hand first. Literal. These things are literal. And actually people are getting that. People are actually waking up to that. So one thing I would say is really have a diet of all the horrible news you can take in in a day. Take in some beauty every day. And if that beauty isn't, you can't get to the park because you live in a city, have a picture of nature and look at it. If it's not a picture of your nature, have a picture of your dog or cat. If it's not a picture of your dog and cat, picture of some kid or some friend that you love. Mm. Connect with beauty every day for a couple of minutes. People talk about, oh, this shooting, that. Business as usual. Yeah. We've been butchering each other for aeons. It's a love piece. And a love piece is quite courageous. It's not this hippie movement, yeah. let's kiss each other. Yeah. True love is very, very, very frightening because it makes you not real, right? And nothing against our hippie brothers and sisters. They yeah. brought this movement to this level. And that's the next level. Next level. There's a revolution. The revolution has to be in our hearts. <clears throat> that's not, again, <clears throat> some cute... Tr- it, it's actually what's happening. Yeah. Because nothing can disarm this manic death march that our world is going towards, which I actually believe is totally healable. Yeah. But this love awakening and this revolution is happening, so feed that revolution. Yeah. It's interesting. I was, um, was I watching the other night, um, uh, you know, because you know my partner had it on uh, television. I just caught it. Um, John Edward, the, uh, the the psychic medium, was on like Doctor Phil, I think it was, and he even talked about how. You know the whole you know you know December twenty first twenty twelve thing, how like you know this, no it's not the end of the world but it's it is the end of a, of a certain like level of consciousness or it's like it, it's representative of a dramatic change right and so you know you know the fact that these things are being talked about across like you know the airwaves at that level mass media it's just fascinating to me because it certainly wasn't there you know just like two or three years ago right you know. Um, you know, this December 21st, 2012 thing, what a beautiful attic thing. First yeah. of all, we think it's an event. Like anything in the world is an event. Yeah. Like the sun goes up or comes down, it's an event. It's a process. This change has been going on, on for, a while. for decades. Really, 60s, but even before that, it's been this change that's happening. Do you know how many people I treat who are actually totally, totally fixated on the world ending then? Because they hate their lives. Yeah. And they don't want to do anything about changing it. So they're fixated, and I was one of those people. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, when I started reading about this stuff, it was like, heroin to a junkie. Oh, yeah. boy, great, 2012, like, no, yes. yeah, great, let's, let's go, let's exactly. Yeah. Actually, the hard part is for it, not to give that energy, give energy to the fact that what do I need to change in my life that's not aligned? Mm-hmm. 
And it might be a little thing. It might be a huge thing. But we feed these things. We feed these things because we don't want to do the work, so we just want things to blow up. And that's no different than having an affair instead of going and saying to your husband or wife who love her, hey man, it's not working. Well, what's going on here? You're pretty miserable too because I'm miserable, right? Oh, we both are. Instead, I'm going to go do this thing on the side to blow this thing up. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, bringing back to what you were talking about, any questions in terms of intention and ceremony? Well, you know, when we were talking about, you know, um, this idea, and you you know, you, you used, you know, what I would consider a metaphor of like, you know, I, if I can't even get out of the city, at least I should have a picture of the country or, you know, the forest or, you know, the desert or whatever on my on my desk and, and look at that as a, as a means of kind of grounding and checking out. And, you know, when I... Um, went to the Amazon, uh, you know, I worked with a Kirandero, like, in, in the remote part of the Amazon, approving Amazon, like, and did really traditional dieta. And, you know, it's basically you're out in the tambo alone. You so know. dieta is? Dieta is, um, you know, you diet on on a particular medicine, and interestingly enough, you know, um, you don't diet on ayahuasca, because ayahuasca is used as the, as the, uh, as the, the diagnostic tool. Um, and it was determined that I, I should diet on another plant, um, Chiuxanango. So, um, you know, we would start with ceremony in the Maloka, which is a ceremonial kind of hut, you know, you know, be diagnosed by the Kirandero, you'd sing the, the Icaros and, 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 and hold, you know, a beautiful ceremony. And there was just a, a small number, so there was, I think, three or four of us there. Um, and then you go out into the Tamil and you basically stay out there for a week, you know, um, or as long as you're going to stay with him. I was there for a week. Um, so you have very little interaction with other people. So this idea of like, you know, kind of checking out of like your, your day-to-day life to do deep work, you know, and, and we all know like, well, I can't fly off the Amazon like, you know, once, you know, a month or once every six months or whatever, you know, depending upon, you know, money or time or whatever. But at least I should be able to check out even if it's that level of like looking at a picture. And you have this great teaching that, that, that I think is like a metaphor, which is like, you know, you, you should feel your feet, you know, and, and feel that grounding piece. Because, I, you know, a lot of times I find that, um, you know, I'm in challenging situations, whether it's at work or in, in, in personal relations or whatnot, that if I just think about my feet, the energy drops, you know. Um, and, and, you know, another thing that came up recently um, in, in, in between the time that, you know, we were going to have this originally and now was, you know, um, you should be able to take an energy and filter it appropriately, keep which works for you, and then, like, the rest you kind of, like, slough off. And you're much more adept and, and knowledgeable about energy just because of the type of work that you do and the modalities you use. Um, but it was a startling revelation. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of times when I'm working alone in the force or whatnot and, and, and I feel like, you know, you know, uh, energy that, that might not be agreeable, I always think that I have to keep it at, at bay or at a distance, you know, and, and so I use, you know, different talismans. and t- You can't really keep energy at bay. It's constantly moving. I mean, we're bathed in it, you know, which is one of the reasons I would rather go out into a tambo in, in the middle of the Amazon than to, like, you know, do ayahuasca with 50 people in a hut somewhere. You know, it's just right, way too much shit to be, yes. like, you know, um, bathed in energetically. You know? Well, let, let's talk about that for a second. So... The feeling the feet thing is not thinking about feeling the feet. It's actually feeling the feet. Yeah. <clears throat> I know, I know yeah. it's a language thing. But yeah. People always talk, because you can think about feeling your feet, but not feel it. And that's yeah. actually my experience with a lot of people. So 
Here's the thing with that. In martial arts, you always, internal martial arts, you realize where the awareness is, is where the energy flows. Mm -hmm. So your awareness is in your hand, your hand gets warm. Awareness in the feet, feet get warm. Then the second awareness is that we're actually not aware of our bodies. At a very young age, two, three, four years old, we go into thinking. That's the first drug that we use. So we're hypercerebral, we're always thinking as a way of dissociating from the pain that we're feeling emotionally. The problem with that is on an esoteric level, when you're in your head, it's like leaving the front door to your house open. Anybody can walk in. Yeah. You notice from a martial arts perspective, when you feel your hands and feet, it amplifies your energetic body. It's the same in these situations. We actually talk about it, you know, it's just a monkey impulse when us when something scares us, we go up and out. <gasps> mm. Breathing gets shallow, we jump up. You actually want to do the opposite reaction to fear or train yourself, which is what you learn as an internal martial artist when someone attacks you, you actually get heavier. Mm -hmm. You feel your feet, you come down. Mm -hmm. What I learned from the time when I used to use biofeedback machines was I could tell people all these little visualizations, they wouldn't really relax. I had them feel their hands and feet exactly because it was in their head. Yeah. You have people feel their hands and feet, automatically they go into a place of relaxation. So a profound tool, which is very, very simple, is to feel your hands and feet. If one is aware, and I invite anybody who's listening to practice, you will notice it is not easy to feel your feet. You can think about it. The hands are easier because we're upper body yeah. sort of fixated. But to actually feel your feet, and then a nicer trick is, which is a martial arts practice, to actually feel underneath your feet. And to actually then go floor down, two floors down. It's a powerful, powerful mm. experience. It actually really, really quiets you down. Mm. Mm. Electromagnetic phenomena, all these phones, computers, Wi-Fi, all these things amplify things so we get out of our bodies more. Yeah. So instead of saying to people, relax, which is such a moronic thing, try to relax. Try I love when people say that. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah right. just saying no to drugs is Nancy Reagan. <laughs> <to say." laughs> As you get a needle hanging out of your arm. Um, same brilliance is to really get people just to feel their bodies and automatic relaxation is a byproduct. Yeah. Well, that was just, it was a watershed for me to understand that because I was, you know, intellectualizing these things, you know, and, and, and but for to, to put it all together, mm -hmm. you know, the idea of like, you know, you know, our bodies are naturally a conduit of like electromagnetic phenomena anyway, yes. right? So like, it makes perfect sense that, that we should create a path to ground to allow yes. stuff to pass through us. You know, so the why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? We don't do it because feeling the body allows us to... You first have to bypass the anxiety that you're feeling all the time. Mm -hmm. One is feeling all the time. That's why we don't feel these bodies. Mm -hmm. And the anxiety is just part of the whole system. Part of it is this anxiety of annihilation, anxiety of death, which everyone has. Mm -hmm. Everyone masks. And then anxieties build on top of that. So the problem with this, the difficulty with this, not the problem, is that we have to get comfortable feeling the anxiety. And the only way the anxiety dissipates is to feel it. You repress it, comes out a different way, panic attacks, what mm -hmm. have you. Mm -hmm. You act it out, you get crazy, you have to get on meds, it's yeah. too much. Yeah. Feeling it for a couple of minutes, start with 30 seconds, then work up to a minute. Yeah. It's one of these medicines, when you do ayahuasca, all those psilocybin, Almost everyone goes through this initial state of just like, oh my God, this is so intense. That's because you're finally feeling what we haven't been feeling. Mm -hmm. But you can access that in ways that aren't so intense. Yeah. Start slowly. 
you know, get your feet in the bathtub. You don't need to go dive off a cliff. But we're addicts and we love to dive off a cliff. <laughs> we love to dive off yeah. cliffs. Yeah. Um, and we love the big things. We love, you know, the mushrooms or ayahuasca. We love the explosions. Something that's been very interesting in research I've been reading up on very recently is the idea of microdosing with psilocybin, which is mushrooms. You know, McKenna used to talk about a heroic dose is five grams of dry grams, yeah. dry grams of mushrooms, which basically blows out the ego wall and blah 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 blah. And that's definitely cool. No, and no turning back. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> that, that's yeah. that's when you actually go off yeah. the Niagara Fall. There is yeah. no you're like, yeah. whoa, we're not in Kansas anymore. There's no we. There's no Kansas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and I really believe people on the path, if they want to experience the absolute, it can be very helpful because it can definitely blow up. One thing about these medicines that I would say for them, they can blow up and blow off misconceptions. Again, Nisar Gadata, homeboy, we love him, the Johnny Rotten of the punk rock world, <laughs> of the spiritual world, Absolutely. the punk rock of the spiritual world. He used to say, you don't need to understand Fire Dragon. Yeah. enough if you don't misunderstand. You don't need to understand, because you really can't understand, right? We've got to let go of our misunderstanding. Hallucinogens will do that for you. Your definition, if you're a religious person, of God, however you understand her, will be different. You, spiritual person, your idea of guru will definitely change when the guru says you and I are one. On that level, it can be very helpful to break down the misconceptions. And... For some people, it can be too much. Like having that as a 50-year-old, that can be an amazing experience of doing a full dose. It can be amazing. The idea, what I've been reading about is microdosing, which people should read up about. I'm not... Yeah. Very, very minute amounts where you're not having any experience. And they're done. I, I forget yeah. what it is, like 400 micrograms or something every second or oh, third. you think of like LSD. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. yeah. And psilocybin as well. Yeah. And I forget the dosage on that. So, um, these are things that they've not, no research has been done on. But there is actually research. Well, there was, right? So back right. early right. 60s, right. Menlo Park, when they right. were using very small doses of LSD, right. 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 you know, and Hashtag like, these are the guys that... What happened to that research? You know, that invented computers and discovered yeah. DNA yeah. and the double helix. I mean, like yeah. all these amazing things, you know. And what happened to that research? Squashed. Because why? Because again, it's like one part of it is, yeah, big bad, big brother. One level is, we do need culture. We can't just pull... You know, to me, someone who does these things is a cosmonaut. What is a shaman? Yeah. A shaman is someone who goes out to hyperspace... Yeah, no, it's true. ...and brings back a piece of the absolute back. Not everybody can do that. We can't have six, seven billion people flying out. Not right now, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So you have the Armstrongs, you have these people who go out and go, hey, man, it's really cold up there, and there's no gravity, and boom, boom, boom. That's what a shaman is. So yeah. I don't even believe it's for everyone. But if a person gets called to experience these things, there are avenues that one can do that. Yeah. But again, even with that person, there has to be some spiritual work. One of the things for me that is really actually, and it's all perfect, but on another level has actually made me sad, is to observe in the last five years or so how the same addictive approach to some of the spiritual practices of the past has gone into the shamanic practices. Yeah. And at the same time, there are people who've actually done these journeys and they're amazingly different for it and they're helping so many people. So not, nothing is good or bad. But I also treat people who have this thing, oh, this weekend I did three ayahuasca. I'm like, what? 
And with 50 people, I don't know who would do it. And they come back and they're profoundly altered. So not good or bad, it needs to be examined. And well, it's that idea of a strong foundation, you know, yes. like the people, you know, yes. you could, and I guess the yes. term that comes to mind is you can withstand some of that stuff if you have a really strong foundation. But if you don't, well, you're going to pay and, a significant price. And what is that foundation? Start with meditation. Yeah. Sit a couple of minutes. And again, there are lots of people who meditate where nothing has changed because yeah. they're doing it out of an addictive place. Or strong containers probably better. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking from yeah. my perspective. Yeah. I'm agree, agreeing with you. But again, setting up a ritual can be very helpful. Yeah. You know, one ritual that I had for years and years and years was, you know, help me remember who I am yeah. and burn away what doesn't serve me. In a gentle, loving manner. In a gentle, loving manner, it came 10 years later after doing this in a temple in India where my marriage disintegrated and I had a nervous breakdown 15 years ago. And I was like, oh yeah, in a gentle manner with some KY, please. Because (laughs) that fist really hurts when it's full on like that. Because that was the addict in me. Yeah, man, burn it all away. Let's go. It's like, wait a minute. There's no gold stars given for suffering on that level. I'm willing to do the work. A little bit of gentleness. There's time. There's time. Intention in places of power. So, yes, intention in places of power, but now, because of what's happening on the planet, everywhere is a place of power. Mm-hmm. Everywhere used to be a place of power, we just didn't know it, now we become an aware. Early on when we started, and then, you know, and I had this great list of questions, and we were going to go da 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 da, and of course we didn't do that, we've gone all over the place, which is always better anyway. But you had talked about. McKenna had said something along the lines, and, and I'm going to paraphrase it and butcher it probably, but he'd said it at one point about, and particularly in talking about the sacred medicines, but I think it's a metaphor for a lot of other things. I just want to explore this with you for a second. It's, you know, he would say that the morphogenetic field attends the compound, and I think he got that from Rupert Sheldrake. Mm-hmm. So, sorry if, if, I, if I misquote that, but mm-hmm. so, okay. So, so, but this idea that you know, these, these kiranderos, these shamans, you know, um, you know, and all over, not just the Peruvian, like, you know, in Siberia and Native American and whatnot, you know, there is such a, a history, um, you know, dating back to, you know, the dawn of time of the use of these sacraments mm-hmm. um, that when you approach these things and use them, you are, in fact, invoking that, that legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I kind of apply the same thing to, to like, you know, objects in sacred space and ceremony that, you know, particularly old objects or natural objects, that, that, that there's a certain field, whether you want to call it morphogenetic or not, but there's a certain property to these things that there's, there's an energy that they bring into that space and, and, and kind of amp up your intention or however you want to put it. So what, you know... What's your sense of, of that, of like, you know, working with, with objects and ritual, working with medicines, and even not even stuff that's, you know, we were talking about here, but even like, you know, you know uh, particularly the, 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 the herbs you work with in Chinese medicine and whatnot, there is something beyond just the, 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 the typical kind of, what's the... Compounds. Yeah, beyond the, the compound. You know, sure. what's your experience of that? And, well, it's, it's a great point you're making. First of all, we have lost sensitivity because part of let's back up here look at the aborigines mm-hmm. they don't even believe in this realm they believe dream time yeah, dream is the time. real time so the first part is to understand we're so ethnocentric as westerners we're so ethnocentric we're so cultural centric we believe our way is the way and we've poo-pooed culture that's not like ours 
It always reminds you of that beautiful native Indian woman who came in South Central Park and said, the white man has finally managed to put Mother Nature in a reservation. That was her... That's how different your viewpoint is, right? We'll go to Central Park, we're like, wow, what a, what a great park. A native who had a different experience was like, wow, well, I'm seeing Mother Nature in reservation. For a lot of people, like, what the hell are you talking about? Now, for many people, myself included, we have learned or were born sensitive enough or too sensitive in a way for the modern world where a certain object, we can't even touch them. I've had people bring in objects to me, hey, I bought this in Africa. I'm like, whoa, 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 this was used by the shaman. Like, get that away from me. Like, I will not sleep for a week. And, you know, Joe Blow can actually have it under his pillow and not even affect them. So part of it is how sensitive we are. Yeah, okay. But, you know, I can, there are people who can drink six gallons of milk and nothing can happen to them. There are people who have like two whiffs of milk and will be puking for a yeah, day. Yeah. So part of that is how sensitive are you and then how sensitive do you want to be? Do objects have force and power? Absolutely. Something that has been in someone's hand who has been using it. You know, weapons as a martial artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can pick up a weapon and tell you in two seconds that someone has handled swords and knives for 35 years. I can tell you this has been in someone's hand or this is just was made. And they look, can look identical. These things are real. The question is how sensitive we are to them. Now, to directly answer your question, if you are sensitive, yes, those tools can be used to amplify your intention. But again, remember, all that that tool is actually amplified intention. That tool, I'm going to rephrase this or say it again, Mm -hmm. that tool can amplify your intention because somebody held it in their hand or in their pocket and amplified its intention for 20, 30, 40 years. A crystal, a a feather, a piece of um, granite. Mm -hmm. Everything's intention, everything is mind. On that level, any tool that's been intensified will do that. And that's the power of ritual. You magnify that. My, you know, grandparents and my great aunt, I have something here that I'll show you later. You know, in the Muslim world, they pray with this little, I don't even know what they call it. It's like this one was a, piece of mud that's dried that you put your third eye on mm. and they don't call it the third eye yeah. but if you know sign of religiosity in places like Iran and Afghanistan is you almost have this welt on your third eye because you've been kissing it so much mm-hmm. and it didn't even occur to me until later I was like wow this is like someone's third eye so when my great aunt died with somebody I was very close to I that, that came to me now I'll show it to you and you can hold it this woman put her forehead on this five times a day you can say she's saying gibberish. You can say, I don't, I'm not a follower of religion or Islam, mm-hmm. but it's got juice. Mm-hmm. That hanging on a wall, which is actually a prayer bead, was handled by someone for years. You hold that, it's got juice. What yeah. is that? It's someone's intention. Someone's intention. So everything is intention. But remember, it's also negative too. Yeah. You can have a lot of weird intention, wear a piece of jewelry and be negative, and then you hold that. Why does this feel yeah. weird to me? You walk into a space, it feels really friendly and inviting. Intention. Walk into a space feels very. The air on, on the back of your neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, these are intentions. I mean, yes, there's spirits and all that, but really, most of this stuff are thought forms. Most of these things are intentions. Intentions are really powerful. Mm-hmm. And one thing about the energy right now, we have to be conscious—not in a fake, positive intention way—but when negative things come out of our mouth, to actually set an intention and correct it. Like, why am I being negative? Um, you know, my assistant and me, we joke all day, Leslie, we have this little doll that's got two little boxing, got these little 
gloves that come out and hit you. And when one of us slips out and says something negative, even in jest, one of us will take that thing and give the other one a little punch of like, remember, oh, nice. yeah. you know? Oh, I can't even believe that. Like, wait a minute. Why, why are you saying that? No, oh, no, it's okay. It's all right. So this time that we're talking about, this modern, present-day time, September of 2012, things are amplified. Thoughts are amplified. I hear all the time people worry about other people. Send them love. They feel the worry. You're worrying about your kid. That kid's feeling the, the worry. Why not send them love instead? There truly is no time and space on that level. Be a scientist. Don't listen to me. Tell me what you're feeling and just send them anger. Tomorrow I'm going to send you a little something. Tell me what you're feeling. Send them love. Send them serenity. It's real. This stuff really works. That's the biggest secret in healing. Being present. What do I do all day long? Why do people get better when they get better? All I'm doing is being present. This goes back to the shaman. What did the shaman say to you? I know that I don't know. Yeah. So what does that mean? That means then you don't have to figure anything out. Show up. Be present. But that means from the second you walk into that treatment room, you are present to the second you walk out. Not for one second does your mind wander. You are present. That's where magic happens. Why? Yeah. Because the divine exists in the present moment. That's all that's real. So when do we feel healed? When somebody really hears us. Well, what does that mean when somebody hears us? They're present to us in the moment. When the Kurandara, when the Shawan is singing their song, they're present to our experience. Mm. Part of the magic of these experiences, we're present. When you're on an ayahuasca journey, or a psilocybin journey, or an LSD journey, MDMA journey, you're present. You're not really wandering off. That's why there are such delicious experiences, besides the fact that the medicines are working on you. We're never present. Mm. We need the permission of a ritual to be present. Okay, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But let's work on having that presence, regardless of external circumstances. Mm.